bold, risk, and perseverance. Hi out there. This is Heather Vickery, and you've tuned in to the Brave Files podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here with us, whether you're a regular listener or a first-time listener. Welcome to being part of this beautiful, brave family. In a world hyper-focused on quick fixes and prescription medication, today's guest, Dr. Aaron Moore, breaks that status quo by sharing the most effective medicine of all, self-love and self-compassion. While Aaron is a naturopathic doctor, she is also an expert and a coach on helping you love yourself. Self-love and self-compassion are the cornerstones of healing ourselves, our communities, and the world at large. And Erin is simply stumbling awkwardly through fear and failure. The founder of Participade, which is an organization designed to support the people of Nepal, joins us today to talk about admitting letting everyone down, including herself, the discovery process of realizing that self-love is simply a forever process, and self-compassion is the very first step to truly loving ourselves. Erin shares her insight, her passion, and sometimes her very painful truth with us. It's a very good conversation. I had a lot of fun. She's so heart-centered and inspiring and beautiful and has this wonderful calming presence. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. So let's get started. This is Heather Vickery, and you're listening to The Brave Files, stories from people living courageously. When we choose bravely in big and small ways, it powerfully elevates our lives. I hope these stories connect with you and encourage you to embrace bravery in every possible way, day after day. Together, we can build a movement of courageous living that enriches both our lives and our communities. And if you enjoy the show, I ask you to please share it with others. Maybe think of someone who you want to choose bravely right alongside you. Thanks for tuning in. Now here's the show. Hi, folks. It's Heather. Welcome back to The Brave Files. As our regular listeners know, giving back and supporting nonprofit organizations is a deep core value of mine, and it's a deep core value here at The Brave Files podcast. There are so many different ways to make a difference in the lives of others, and I love sharing inspiring ways that you can go out and support our global community. Today's guest has this very same passion, and she's actually done something incredibly brave with it. After developing a deep love for Nepal, Dr. Erin Moore decided to create an NFP to support the people of Nepal. Thus, her organization Participate was born, but it hasn't always been easy for Erin. She muddled through a lot of mistakes and failures in the process, and she's here today to talk about, in her own words, stumbling awkwardly through failure and fear and never giving up on the thing that most spoke to her heart. She's also a self-love coach, and y'all know I am a big fan of self-love and self-compassion, so let's get to it. Erin, welcome to The Brave Files. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you all. I'm thrilled. I love your energy. I think you you do so many cool things, and I am so excited to dig in and learn more about Participate. Starting a not-for-profit is it's like really hard complicated work. Why why not just volunteer for a different organization? Why start your own? I'll tell you what. I 
I resisted starting a nonprofit for many years. So I first went to Nepal in 2007 and really fell in love with working there in like 2009. And it wasn't until 2015 that I founded the nonprofit. That whole time I was like, oh, I don't want to, I just, I'll just, I didn't want to do the administrative part or it just seemed too complicated. I just wanted to, there seemed something very specific that I was called to do and I just wanted to go and do it. I was funding it on a credit card and my student loans and donations from here and there. And it, it wasn't, uh, until until after the earthquake happened that we had, it, there was just so much kind of momentum and support and people saying, we're here, we'll be your board. Let's start this nonprofit. And I was yeah. I'm like, okay, all right. That's frustrating, it. right? <laughs> that it takes some sort of major tragedy for people to pay attention or want to be part of making a difference. So you said you were you were using your student loans and your credit cards. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so you were putting your own money into this. How did that affect the rest of your life? Uh, it's a, it's, you know, then that's a whole nother story, like my relationship <laughs> with money. And mm. that I actually think is a problem in the whole not-for-profit world. Like, can we start with that name of the organization? Right. <laughs> like, right. No one's supposed to make any money from doing this work. No profit. Who came up with that? You know? Right. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was really hard. It made the work kind of unsustainable, you know, without having anyone else to back me. I just didn't really understand there is, and this is kind of part of the sto- my, my story too. Like there was um, within me uh, there there's in the international development world, this idea of white saviorism of yes. It's on my, I was going to ask you about it. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah we absolutely. can just start with it off the top. So <laughs> I, I learned about that concept by being that and having, yeah. and being called out. Like I just had no idea, you know, I was, well, that's just one of those things that it takes a lot of guts as a white woman to say, Yep, that was me and that was icky and I do better because we don't want to say it's like, you know, people, they don't want to admit they're racist, but we are, you Mm -hmm. know, all of all of those things. So how did you discover that you were participating in white saviorism? I'll tell you, and I just want to tie in like that white saviorism. It's like a deep wired program that also to the money thing, there was like a sense Mm -hmm. of kind of martyrdom that was tied in there. So like, as I kind of healed one, the other healed, not that I'm like making bank off of participating now, (laughs) but I'm not, I'm no longer funding work on my credit cards. Right. You're not going broke because Um, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's a new relationship with the work now because I understand now that the work doesn't uh, come from me. It comes from them. So I don't need to like the, the impetus comes from the people that we work with in Nepal. Right. Um, and that was that was the mistake. So really the way that I, I, I first figured it out is when I, I, I came and we, I met this group of people in a village and we would come together and we had some big idea about a way to serve the community, something to raise money for, uh, a condition to treat, something to educate about. And I would go home to America and raise money and get volunteers and come back and we do it. And then 
I'd have some big grand plan. All right, now this is what we should do. We being y'all over there in Nepal, what y'all should do in the meantime, before I come back the next time. And and basically nothing was happening in between my visits. And I just realized that I was driving. That was basically and they needed to be driving. Yeah. And you know, it's, it, it's the same with coaching, mm. right? Like people who want to go into a coaching relationship because they want their coach to fix their problems is they're never going to have what it is they want to have. They're never going to be successful because we don't fix it for them, mm-hmm. right? They have to do the work. It's the same, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I really think so. There is this overlap and it's kind of paralleled also in medicine, you know, in um, mm, in yes. allopathic or like the conventional medical model versus these more holistic, or I'm a naturopathic physician uh, and our our way of treating like this, the philosophies of naturopathic medicine, which I'm still licensed, but technically I don't practice medicine in any of my jobs now or either of my jobs. But this idea of the conventional medical model is like the white savior model is like the coach has all the power and the knowledge model. Like we come in, we have the knowledge, we have the power. We'll tell you what to do. We'll fix it. You know? No. Yeah. And the naturopathic model. And now what we're doing with participate is the participatory development, like grassroots bottom, bottom up model. And with this more uh, facilitative style of coaching, it's like, okay, actually the client the beneficiary, the patient has everything they need. And our job is to facilitate guys, you know, that's a huge difference. And so discovering this and changing that approach from you being the driver to the folks that you're helping and supporting running their own organization and being in Mm -hmm. charge of their success or failure or whatever, how has that shifted the organization. Oh my God. It's totally made, like made all the difference. Like I was going nowhere. We, our work was not sustainable with this white savior model. Mm. I would have, I would have worked myself into the ground. I would have never given up, you know, because it, my heart was so drawn. I was so committed. Like there was just something in me, like, I'm going to just stick to this until I break or it works, you know? Mm. (laughs) And yeah, but it's, it was then all of the work depended on my capacity. And once right. We, Which yeah. is limited. We all have limited capacity. Totally. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and it was just, and it was so, it was cool. And people from the outside uh, who maybe aren't seasoned, who weren't ready to criticize me for being a white savior, were ready to praise me for doing good work, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then once we really shifted, once that became clear to me and like, okay, this, this isn't going to work when I'm driving and like how I started to look for other models of development. Cause y'all people go to school for this, you know, yeah. people go to school yeah. for development. And I didn't choose that route. I was just like, I found this place and I just knew that I had, it was like a, a soul kind of calling, you know, or I don't know. I just knew I had to be there. You know, I, I took all sorts of risks to just to be able to work there in whatever capacity I could, you know, dropped out of school. So take us back. 
Oh, wow. Why Nepal? I mean, it's an amazing, beautiful country with wonderful, beautiful people, but there, that is everywhere. So what mm. about Nepal most spoke to you? Uh, I'm actually, you know, it's some, it's very hard to describe. So when I, um, when I first came to Nepal, I traveled by bus from mm -hmm. India to Nepal, like in the night. So I woke up, like I went to bed in India and I woke up like in the middle of the night after we had crossed the border. And I just felt so, I just felt so good. I like, mm. I, I was like, we must be in Nepal now. The first time <laughs> I had never been there before, but I just like felt like I was in a different place. Wow. And, um, and then there was just, I, uh, my very first trip there, I, I described Nepal as like medicinal for me. There might, there's something with me in the mountains too. Like mountains mm. are very good for my nervous system. Like if I can look at a mountain, then I'm going to be in a better mental, emotional state. And so the mountains, of course, like they're all the mountains. That's an amazing <laughs> thing to intuitively know. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, I learned that from being in Nepal, you know, so, and, and come to find out later, like, I'm not sure how much I believe in past lives and things like that. Oh, I do. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I like to rank my beliefs on a percentage scale. I believe in past lives, like 70% or something. You know? I mean, I just believe anything's possible. Yeah. I believe possible. in science enough to know that I don't know the truth. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know all the things and anything is freaking possible. Mm -hmm. It's also why I'm agnostic and not atheist mm -hmm. because I, I I know enough to know that I don't know. Yeah. I shouldn't plant your flag strongly <laughs> yeah. in the atheist territory. Yeah. I, I feel similarly. Anything is possible. Right. But I've worked with astrologers that have told me that I've had past uh, in past lives. I've been a Nepali monk and I was just like, yes, <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's one it. of the reasons I, I kind of believe in past lives just because somebody told me that and it felt true, but who knows? Mm. So I, I don't know why Nepal, but I just, um, it was just a feeling. It was really a feeling that I felt in my heart when it came to this place. Yeah. I felt like I was at home which is bizarre. I love that. But I, I think that's so important for everybody to find for themselves. There's so much bravery in whatever it is that speaks to your heart, being awake and aware enough to recognize, oh, this is the thing that connects to my heart. And then doing something with that, what, whatever it is, if it's mm -hmm. starting a nonprofit in Nepal or writing a book or walking across country, I've known people who've done that or getting a divorce or crafting or knitting or whatever, right? Like whatever yeah. it is, if it really speaks to your heart and you bravely lean into that, the world is better for it. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And this is the, this is the risk, right? Like you feel, yeah. you feel this pull on your heart and you have no idea what this is going to look like or what it means, but is there the risk of, you know, taking the next step, whatever that might be, uh, greater than the risk of for decades wondering what if, what, what, what if I would have taken that opportunity or, uh, you know, made that phone call 
or signed mm-hmm. up for that program or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. I'm not about living in that. What if I know you're not. I would, <laughs> I would rather ask for forgiveness than permission in almost every situation. <laughs> yeah. Which is okay. So that's, that's cool. And I think I might be the same way, but this was, so by doing that, I, it's risky because I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. I was this white savior. Not only that, but just me and the people that I was working with too, they made a lot of mistakes too. We all, all of us had no idea how to like make a, how to be a nonprofit organization, you know? So, and then you get, then you get people from the outside who see you making those mistakes. So, I mean, it's a. Yeah, but you made the mistakes and you own the mistakes and you're still standing. So you must have learned something powerful mm-hmm. from those mistakes that you have. So this is in the brave method, which is my coaching method. This is what I call the three R's, reassessment, reframing and resilience. Mm-hmm. You you made these mistakes. You had these epic failures. You got really honest with yourself about it. You learned from it and reframed what you learned and you got up and you tried something else. So what, what are those big lessons? What did you learn? What do you do differently now? And why does that matter? You're asking me. (laughs) I'm asking you. I am. Yeah. Your mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the big, when looking back, I think there's two two primary mistakes that I uh, had to make kind of repeatedly that I, you know, and I probably, I still make them. Yeah. I still make them today. This is interesting because it's not just in the nonprofit work. It's also in my life Mm. and also in Mm -hmm. my other business, you know, Mm -hmm. and they are overcommitment. And, um, and this, so many of us can resonate. <laughs> yeah. And this like savior, like rescuer, I martyrdom, to, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's still, both of those things are still active lessons in my life right now. You know, in the nonprofit work, it really sucked though, because it was like my overcommitment was of service and of aid. You know, I made promises that felt like really great in the moment. And I was like, so sure I had so much belief, you know, that I could make it happen. And then I wasn't able to deliver on promises. And that, you know, that really, that that really sucked. Yeah. Yeah. And to have, you know, people lose faith in me, you Mm. know, because I said one thing that I wasn't able to follow through on. And so it's, and so there's that kind of overcommitment you know, just overextending, not being realistic about what the next steps are, you know, and, and then of course, overextension, overcommitment of myself and my time, my money and my energy, which Mm -hmm. we all, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's uh, much more to all the bad things. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also very humbling. Right. And, and I heard you say that, you know, people lost faith in you, but they must have gained it back or other people gained like, you're still there and it's thriving. This organization, which I, in a, in a minute, I want you to really tell folks what mm. the people of Nepal are doing yeah. with participating. Yeah. But you gained it back. And that's, to me, that's the experience of life is we make all of these mistakes and sometimes they're brutal and embarrassing and painful. Mm. And we get humbled and we have to say, I made all these mistakes and I would like to try again. You know what my thought right now is like, 
in this, in my work there, people have lost faith in me for quote, good reason. And they have also lost faith in me for quote, bad reason. You know, I, Mm. and I, we can't control other people's perception of us. Right. So everybody, there's been times, especially after the earthquake, you know, when they're there was so much need and I've been such a persistent presence in that, in this region, like people yeah. just kind of on their own associate the white lady, you know, white saviorism goes both ways. Like with, oh, sure she's, got, she's got sure. the money, she's got the aid, she's going to help me, you know, but I can't, that's not my job, you know? So Mm-mm. when Mm-mm. I, when like I have had, really painful experiences of people um, uh, losing faith in me because I couldn't give them some kind of aid or something like that when it was never something I had promised them and something I had never committed to. It's just their expectation, you know, that I would be the one to rescue them in some way. That's been a really rocky road just, and, and I think that yeah, one of my three words was perseverance. Yeah. Like just sticking it out because through all the these hard times and just trusting that it was yeah, like I wasn't going to do it perfectly, but that this was going to work out in the end. And that I'm mm-hmm. doing my best, you know, always. That's all we can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our best isn't enough, but we learn from that and then we try again. That's the whole that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's so brave. I mean, the, the opposite of that is to not try at all. It's not yeah. to, to be afraid. It's to not do anything. <laughs> so tell us about the organization. Okay. So y'all now I heard you got kind of the uh, background story of me being the leader, me uh, driving. And it's always, our work has always been in, uh, kind of focused in healthcare, except for after the earthquake, we kind of got more broad and did uh, disaster relief because of my own background experience. So we're focused in healthcare. And one thing that we um, that we did in our early days was these health camps. And in Nepal, in the rural areas, people don't have doctors. Like they, there just aren't doctors there. There's no like highly trained healthcare professionals. There, um, there are health workers there. So the way they receive healthcare is through these temporary like kind of camp models. So we participated in that. And, and instead of giving medicines that needed to be refilled, you know, like, cause that's the, what, that's what yeah. was happening. Docs would come in yeah, and they course. say, Oh, yep. here we are, you know, to, to save you. To and then they leave you. and everyone's screwed again. Yeah. yeah. Here's this bottle. Mm-hmm. It needs mm-hmm. to be refilled in 30 days. So I don't know, hopefully somebody comes back Ugh. within 30 days. Yeah. So as a naturopathic doctor, I'm like, look at all these plants around here. This is medicine, you know? And of course this was part of Nepal's tradition a long time ago, but in their history, it has largely been lost with the infiltration of Western medicine. So we, we, we use plant medicine at these medical camps, their own plants. And I taught them what it was. Of course they knew it. They all know what these plants are. So we'd say, if you get benefit from this, uh, you know, it's behind your uncle's house. Is how you make a tea from it, you know? And they, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And they just love that too. It felt so much better for us to give medicine mm-hmm. that was of their land and they could easily like 
take ownership of and refill on their own if they wanted to, you know, they also loved it. And basically what happened is word kind of spread. Like in this time when I'm like trying to figure out how to not be a savior, people are like uh, on the, uh, in other communities are like, we want, we want you to come teach us this. You know, we want this in our community. You teach it. And then they can share it. Then they can teach it. So mm-hmm. all you have to do is teach it to one person who can then teach it to everyone else. Well, really what you need is partner organizations. <laughs> so that's, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, who, uh, so that's, that was really a missing link. And it was just part of the process too. Like from the very beginning, I was like this group of people that I worked with, helped them to form of an organization of their own, but we didn't know the the methods of participatory development or how to collect the people's voice or how to really engage people in change. Right. And I right. I live I live in Oregon, you know. So <laughs> like I can't I can and I'm American, you know. I might have been Nepali yeah. in another life, but <laughs> I, I'm American in this one. So what's happening now is we've partnered with enough people and built enough, like over the years, we've been doing this for a decade now, over the years, built enough interest in this, in this work that we are now working on the Nepali People's Natural Medicine Initiative, which is basically to develop this as a model that can be replicated in villages across the nation. And if this happens, when this happens, I'll tell you why I say when and not if, when yeah, this happens, then this will change the whole healthcare landscape of Nepal to be more localized, That's to incredible. be more resilient for the Nepali people to have more access and ownership to health because it's right in their I backyard. literally have chills. Yeah. We all need that. Yeah. Everyone needs that. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So cool. Honestly, once we kick it off in Nepal, maybe bring it back here to America. But the reason I say when is because by the grace of whoever, whatever, it's our partnerships. Like we are partnered with people over there that have been working for the last 30 years in models just like this to develop a model for the for the national government that then can be replicated across the nation. Like uh, there's uh, our in-country director is just a gem. He's just renowned for his work all over the world, but specifically in Nepal, of course, he's Nepali. But he's worked with the Nepali government to in, in a like a burn prevention program. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, because in Nepali women they cook on stoves. There's lots of stoves on the ground. There's a lot of yeah. burns. So he developed this burn prevention plan that started in one community and is now being spread across the whole incredible country. Same thing with like uh, the child friendly districts, which is basically I don't know, protection of children from abuse yeah. and. Um, mm-hmm the the dangers of village life and so he's partnered now with like unicef just started in one place and now it's happening all over the country both of these with participation from the government and so we're like okay he's like paved the way the way twice and now he's got this project which has so much so much more kind of excitement behind it than burns and the child-friendly plan, the ones that have come between it, I think because of COVID and people, COVID over there, like, yes, yeah, it was so well-treated with Ayurvedic medicine, which is like the Nepali plant medicine. That's amazing. Yeah. So people are just like, bring it, you know, they, they 
Ayurveda and natural medicine is really making a comeback in Nepal. So yeah, we're that's incredible to think about that, that they managed their COVID outbreak well. Yeah. The, the, because of this plant medicine skill. Yeah. Yeah. They treated it. They have both Western and Ayurvedic hospitals in Nepal mm-hmm. and it is reported. I haven't, I haven't like had my hands on the data, but it has been reported to me that at the, the Ayurvedic hospital, there were no COVID deaths. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so now you would want to know, of course, like how many people were actually there and you would, you know, there's more information, but still, especially in a country where access to healthcare is limited anyway. And, and we know across the world, death rates were so much higher in low income mm-hmm. communities, things like that. You would imagine mm-hmm. that that has to be really significant. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's just it, gone from this now that. I've, the more I like release the reins. So now I'm like a facilitator of a facilitator of a facilitator, you know, I'm like in the back, in the back, back, back seat. I'm the caboose. (laughs) And it's your baby, Yeah. but, but it's not your quote unquote work to do. Yeah. Which is to me so much again, and and I actually want to kind of tie this back in to coaching. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you. I've, I've not worked with you as a coach, but I have done a couple of little things here and there with you as a coach. When my clients thrive and many of them will say to me, it it's because of you or it's working with you. And I quickly come back and say, you did all of this work. Mm-hmm. You did all of this work. Like, I appreciate that. Thank you. That makes me feel all the warm fuzzies. I love that. But really, all I did was guide you. All mm-hmm. I did was coach you. You had to show up and do the work. And it makes me so proud to see them show up for themselves. And I'm wondering how that feels for you, both with the not-for-profit and also in your work as a coach. Yeah, a really similar, it's that an, another parallel to medicine, you know, to conventional versus naturopathic medicine. In naturopathic medicine, we have this principle that the the role of the naturopathic physician is to make ourselves obsolete. And yeah. Yeah. And I really, I apply that hundred percent in my work in Nepal and absolutely in my coaching practice too. So we have, yeah, I have a, a, in my, in my course now, when I like step back and look at it, so I have a a program, I teach self-love as self-marriage. So it's literally like I yeah. <laughs> like married to yourself. Married to yourself. As in self, yeah. 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 So I teach, <laughs> uh, I teach six practices of self-love. And then in the end, I marry the client to themselves in like a ceremony. It's not a legal thing, but it's just like kind of a, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it's just kind of a, a, a fun and Symbolic. also, and yeah. also serious commitment to, okay, I see. I am the one, mm. I'm the one that has the power here. I am, yeah. uh, my relationship with myself is the most important thing. It'll be reflected in every other thing I do. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. And, but in this program, I've been like stepping back and looking at it. Now I've had more and more people go through it. I really am. It, it's like teaching. Yeah. Teaching the client to be their own healer. Right. There's yeah. a, a later on, like in the course, after we build foundations of self-kindness and self-forgiveness, the client learns inner child work and the client learns how to do shadow work and the client learns how to do all these things on their own. And then I marry them to themselves and, <laughs> and off you go. Where's the book on this? I need the book, Aaron. 
Uh, on self-marriage? <laughs> yes. Well, the six steps or whatever. Oh, and yeah. Then the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wrote six books. Maybe I'll make them, in, you know, they're part of the program. Maybe I'll make them into a book, its own book someday. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. That's, that's a great. <laughs> I mean, I obviously, folks, you you should check out Erin and what she's doing. And if this speaks to you, join this course. But I really think it would be an incredible book, just a resource to we remind ourselves, I, I am a big fan of personal professional development books mm-hmm. and I highlight and I make notes and, and I go back and they help me be a better version of me, or at least learn what I want to learn more about right now. I'm reading, um, breath. Mm. Have you, have you read? I haven't read it, but I, I am aware. Mm-hmm. Fascinating yeah. stuff. And your stuff feels very much like that. So can you quickly tell us what does it mean to be a self-love coach and how is, if at all, that different from self-compassion? So self-love, uh, what it means to be a self-love coach. So I've actually been thinking about this because that's what, I don't know, in the marketing world, it's recommended. You got to come up with something. Yeah. Or it's recommended that we have like a more specific kind of client that we help or yeah. whatever. I haven't, I haven't yeah. done that actually might have been thinking about like, you know, narrowing down more, but basically, yeah, I teach my, the, the thing that I really, uh, hone in on is just what I said, like this, if you're trying to change your relationship with your partner, with food, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. alcohol, with cigarettes, what the way I think the way that I've done all that and the way that I teach my clients to do that is through their relationship with themselves. And so mm-hmm. I just teach this like self relationship, like really teach people how to conceptualize. What does it mean to like, to be kind to yourself? What does that look like? How do you forgive yourself? How do you support your own expression? How do you communicate with yourself? You know, like what, like really mm-hmm. kind of getting mm-hmm. in there in the, in the circus, in the inner world and establishing helping clients to establish themselves as, as, as captain, you know? So, uh, self-love, I kind of just for my own, like, this is my own definition or how I conceptualize it. I I think that self-love is really just a process a forever process of getting to know yourself better and accept what you find, you know, again Mm. and again, you know, you, you know, and you accept, oh, but there's more to know and there's more to accept. Getting getting to know yourself better and accept what you know. Yeah. That's my quote of of the interview. Okay, cool. (laughs) And because I think it applies to everything you've, you've talked about getting to know yourself, getting to know what you need, getting to know what's available to you and then accepting what you know and taking action on that. Yeah. And taking action. And because there is a third part of that. And I, I usually say like, and honoring that you accept it, then Mm. this is who you are now. So the act of love is to honor that. Like how, what can you, where can you, what action can you take from there? That would be an act of love and truly honoring who you are you know, who you've, who you've come to know yourself to be. So I think of self-love as just that. Yeah. And then as self-love is that whole like process and I teach. So this is why it's just, I did the self-marriage. It just, it really helped me because I'm like a, I, I, I want steps and 
Um, <laughs> yeah. I want something more clear. It's such like a fuzzy concept. So self-marriage, it really just helped me because I married myself actually, you know, and uh, I, I was married to myself in, uh, in a, in a festival of this like cute little ceremony in a teepee. And as I became, I yeah. And as I came to conceptualize it, just breaking it down into these practices, that's on like mm-hmm. the self-marriage. So the practices are self-kindness, self-forgiveness, self-expression, self-protection, self-honesty and self-trust. Mm. And, and I teach them in that order. And those are like the skills of a self-married person, you know, that, that I, that's just how I teach it. And all this to get back to your question of is, (laughs) how is it different from self-compassion? And I would say that self-compassion is the foundation of self-love. And basically that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. That's how I, that's, I teach self-kindness and I think that it's pretty synonymous with self-compassion and that's the first practice and where we all have to start in order to really uh, commit to this, this practice for our lives. I mean, Kristen Neff's work changed my life. Mm -hmm. Like completely her self-compassion work completely changed my life. Mm -hmm. And I catch myself now I'll, I'll crack myself up finding myself, giving myself compassion in a moment, I'll be frustrated or I'll experience something or I'll get mad or mm-hmm. I'll spout off. And then I go, well, of course that made you upset. Like you felt afraid or you were worried about your kid or, you know, whatever. It's okay. And then I like pat myself. It's okay, Heather. You mm-hmm. can- <laughs> mm-hmm. My kids are going to be like, I'm crazy, but I love that. Mm-hmm. And I think you should put it together as a book. I cannot encourage you to do that enough. I love it. So many wonderful things to celebrate. So many lessons, so many opportunities. How do you like to celebrate? I, these days, my fave ways to celebrate are dancing. I have Mm. a little, so lucky to have like a little dance community here. So like women that I dance with and I've really taken to bubble baths. I've oh, never, I've never been a bubble bath person in my life, but we just moved recently and our new house has this epic bubble bath. So I was like, I got to figure this out. I got to do the bubble bath thing. And it has been, and it has been awesome. I think that's actually a really great question because usually typically or in later, earlier phases of my life, the go-to answer is drinking, cut a, a oh. drink and celebration. So that's another, yeah. uh, a, a uh, a question I think about a lot and talk with clients a lot about is like how so, the, a, a, a drink, a cocktail going out is so often like the go-to celebration. So sure. if you're, if you're sober or like not tr- trying to like not lean on a substance, what are other ways to celebrate? So many ways. Mm-hmm. And we, that's one of my favorite things. This is one of my favorite segments of this show. Every week we get some unique, unusual way to celebrate. And there are overlaps, of course, mm-hmm. but I love that. And water for me is a gra- is, is your mountain, I think. Mm. Water for me is a grounding source. So if I'm near a lake or an ocean or my bathtub, mm-hmm. I feel settled. And I took my four daughters on a cruise in January of 2019. It was the last solo four person or vacation with four of them we, we've been able to take. And I, my eight-year-old was, what, six at the time. And just as the giant cruise ship was pulling away, 
and we're standing at the edge and we're, we're watching land go away. And she grabs my hand and she looks up at me and she says, mama, if anyone is ever feeling sad or angry or frustrated, you know, all they have to do is look at the water. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I love that. I love that she knows that about herself and, and that you, that it's mm-hmm. mountains for you. And those are, those are ways to bring in celebration. And it's so important. Mm-hmm. Celebration begets celebration. The more you honor things and recognize them and celebrate them, the more you will have to celebrate. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So Aaron, other than participate, mm. what is your favorite charitable organization to support? Hmm. The one that comes to mind right now because of what's happening in Ukraine is mm. there's an organization, a local organization called Medical Teams International. They do kind of emergency, like disaster relief sort of work um, abroad. And I, I really like them. There's another organization that I love, also Oregon-based, but global, called Green Empowerment. And they do uh, their, their mission. They work all over the world in a really, I love the way they work, like a really participatory, ground-up way to um, support like, green energy initiatives. Love that. So awesome. Those are two of my faves. So we will link to all of those cool. in the show notes and they will be our charities of the week. Yay! And we thank you for sharing them with us so we can go and learn more about them. Yeah. And folks, you, you know the drill. Give what you can. If all of that you can give right now is a social media like or share, that's okay. Whatever it is your capacity is, let's do this together. Let's rise up together as a global community. Erin, will you share your three words with us one last time? Yes. Uh, perseverance, risk, and bold. Excellent. And mm-hmm. I think, yes, I mean, amazing. So bold and so gutsy and so centered and so many wonderful self-awareness lessons that I think our listeners can really dig into. Look, look into yourself and think about those moments that have maybe been really stressful or uncomfortable and gain that sense of awareness and, and how can you grow from it and, and keep that heart center pulled together. So beautiful. Erin, I'm so thrilled to be able to have spent some time with you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me share my story. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed the episode just as much as I did. You can learn about Participate on our website. Actually, Erin, how can they connect with you and find your information as well? I think the best place for participate now is on Instagram. We're at um, participate underscore Nepal. Okay, Uh, excellent. That's a great way to, we're just building our Instagram presence. So come on over there. And if they want to marry themselves. If you want to marry yourself or learn more about, uh, yeah, self-love coaching, I'm on Instagram also at the self-love doctor. So it's self.love.doctor. Excellent. Thank you. So go check that out. And I want to hear how this resonates with you. You can find us on Instagram at the Brave Files podcast. Send me a DM. Let me know what you think, maybe what brave things you're out there doing. Or if you know somebody who you think would be a great guest on the show, please reach out. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Vickery and Co. and at TikTok at Brave Heather. That's annoying. I know. I have different tags in all of those places. I'm also on Instagram at Vickery and Co., but you know, 
whatever. <laughs> I'm so glad to spend this time with you all. I hope you'll come back next week for another amazing interview with somebody who has stepped out of fear and into bravery. I'm Heather Vickery reminding you today and every single day to go out and choose bravely. Bye now. Hey friends, I want to share something really exciting with you. We already know you enjoy listening to podcasts because you're listening to this one, but I'm also betting you enjoy audiobooks. And hey, listen, if you don't already enjoy audiobooks, then it's time to check them out. That's why I'm really excited to share Libro.fm with you. They are an incredible new platform for listening to audiobooks. And by choosing Libro.fm over other audiobook services, you are supporting a local bookstore of your choice and investing in your local community. Libro.fm offers over 150,000 audiobooks via their primary platform, which, by the way, they built with love and from scratch because they're a small business also. They even offer bookseller recommendations for great audiobook options. You can sign up right now via www.vickeryandco.com slash librofm. That's vickeryandco.com slash L-I-B-R-O-F-M. And when you do, you'll get one free audiobook of your choice and the proceeds will go to your favorite local bookstore. Now, check what I just said there. You're going to get a free book and the proceeds are still going to go to your local bookstore because Libro.fm makes sure that their booksellers get paid even when they give a promo to customers. I've listened to over 20 audiobooks this year alone. I especially love listening to memoirs read by the author, and it feels great knowing that all of my purchases support my local bookstore, The Book Table, in Oak Park, Illinois. Libro.fm. The same audiobooks, the same price, but a completely different story. Check them out right now at vickeryandco.com slash librofm. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Maybe you've had this thought and then quickly shut it down because who has the time? Or you don't know how, or gosh, it just all seems too hard. If you have something to share with the world, we want to encourage you to get your message out. The world needs to hear it. Did you know that 50% of all homes are podcast fans? If you've ever wondered about having your own podcast or how it can increase your business or get your message across, then please join me and the other experts from the Podcast Power Academy for our monthly free Q&A session. It's called So You Want to Start a Podcast? This casual live conversation will help you understand how podcasting can be a great decision, why now is the best time to get started, and how to get into action with it. Visit podcastpoweracademy.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Brave Files, stories of people living courageously. To learn more about the show, find our show notes and full episode transcripts, or to get some great bonus content, visit thebravefilespodcast.com. And we would love to know what you think of the show. You can give us a call at 312-646-0205. Let us know your thoughts on the episode, the show in general, or maybe share with us how you're out choosing bravely. This episode is brought to you by Vickery & Co. Success Coaching. 
coaching that helps you maintain a life well-lived and a business well-run. Learn more at vickeryandco.com. Our music was created and produced in a custom collaboration with Matt Lewis from ML Creative Consulting, a boutique firm dedicated to helping clients identify their unique sound and amplify their brand with custom delivered soundtracks. We couldn't do any of this without our extraordinary audio engineer, Andrew Olson. Learn more about him and check out his work at findandrewolson.com. And special thanks to everyone on Team Brave from our producers, associate producers, copy editors, writers, and support team. Special thanks to Molly, Mary, Kim, Sabra, and Sabrina. I'm your host and executive producer, Heather Vickery. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.